Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Christians are saved by God's grace, not by man's rules. Grace that draws you into a more intimate relationship with Christ. Are you experiencing this? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the Apostle Paul's teaching on the triumph of grace over the misguided concept of legalism. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his special message, The Freedom Fighter. Well, thank you for joining us. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're looking at the first 10 verses, and we're talking about how militant Paul got in the protection of the gospel. A really good example to follow up our discussion of spiritual warfare. The resources for the month of June are still available between now and Wednesday. Uh, The most important one, I think, is the book Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. This beautiful 200-page gift book is filled with really important information about spiritual warfare. The book is uh, designed to help you. For instance, if you're looking in the table of contents, here's one of the items. What are the wiles of the devil? You see that's on page 57. You go to page 57, there's the answer. Here's one can a believer be possessed by a demon? The answer to that's on page 66. As you go through this book, you'll see many questions like that. Then you're led to the place where you'll find the answers. And the answers aren't going to be long theological uh, discussions, but very pertinent, very practical, very pointed answers to the questions. And we love this format because we know it's so helpful to so many people. You can have this book for a gift of any size in the days that still remain in the month of June. But you don't want to wait too much longer. June's evaporating. It's going away. And uh, so when that happens, this offer goes away as well. So ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Once again, let me remind you, June's a wonderful month for us because it's the end of a year, a fiscal year of examining how... We've been able to take the resources God gives us and uh, invest them in places that are making a difference. Your investment in Turning Point makes all that happen, and we are so thankful for that. We're so grateful that you stand with us in the propagation of the Word of God. Well, uh, here we go with uh, part two of The Freedom Fighter, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There's not anything you can do to be a Christian. All you can do is receive what's already been done through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is fighting for. And it's serious to Paul. You know how I know? Look at the end of the second verse where Paul writes, Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Do you know what he means when he says that? I think I've got this part of it figured out. Paul's concerned that these false teachers who were following him around and trying to sabotage his work would make his efforts in the gospel of no value. In essence, Paul is challenging the Jerusalem council either to endorse the false teachers or to endorse him. But you can't have it both ways. 
He needed the council to repudiate those from Jerusalem who were teaching that the works of the law were necessary for salvation. Here's the heart of Paul as I understand it. Paul may have been the hardest worker who ever worked for Jesus. I mean, you read his schedule in the book of Acts. I feel like I haven't done a day's work when I read the life of Paul. He just got up early in the morning, stayed up late at night, and all the stuff he did. And while he was doing all this, he was making tents over here on the side to keep his life together. And Paul said, I've done all this work establishing these churches. I've gone into Achaia and Iconia and into Antioch, and I've built these Galatian churches up, and I've built these churches on the gospel of the grace of God. And now these yahoos from Jerusalem are coming down here and saying, this gospel isn't enough. You've got to have the works of the law to go with it. And he says, if I allow this to go on, I will have done all of that I've done in vain. It will have been totally undercut by false teachers. Did you know that that happens today in our culture? People who preach the gospel get people saved and then cults and isms come into the church and pick off the new believers and take them into the cults. Nothing is more discouraging or defeating to a preacher of the gospel than to see someone who has truly come to Christ get sidetracked by false teaching. That's what Paul was worried about. And he said, I want to get this thing straightened out right here in this meeting in Jerusalem. We're going to settle this once and for all. This is not going to go on. So he appears in Jerusalem. And we begin with Paul's appearance in verse 3. And he first introduces his friend. He says, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, he says, here's exhibit A, here's Titus, a Gentile, full-blooded Gentile, but full-blooded Christian. And he didn't have to do all the stuff you're saying to become a Christian. Titus is exhibit A for Paul's contention that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. Titus was a full Gentile, and to have him yield to the law would have just totally undercut the gospel of grace. John Phillips describes what it must have been like for Titus when he got into Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. Listen, he said he would have been urged to accept circumcision as required by the law of Moses. They would urge him to start keeping the Sabbath, to participate in the ritual law, to offer sacrifices, to adhere to the strict observation of the Mosaic dietary laws. And with the tireless zeal and persistence of cultists of all ages, they would have pursued Titus day and night, urging and badgering and persuading him, saying, yeah, I know you've had this grace experience, but if you want to be a full-blooded Christian, you've got to add all this other stuff too, or you're not going to be real. And looking back at this event, Paul recalls that no one was able to intimidate Titus to be circumcised. This was an overwhelming victory for Paul and for the gospel of grace, not even the highest level of the authority in the church. The Jerusalem council would require his Gentile convert to practice the law. Because of the decision of the council, listen to me, Titus walked out of Jerusalem the same way he walked in, a full-blooded Gentile and a full-blooded Christian. The decision of the Jerusalem council concerning the necessity of circumcision and the keeping of the law was memorialized in a letter. I don't have time to read that letter, but I want to tell you where you can find it. It's in your Bible. It's in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, and it's actually in there kind of indented like a letter would be if you read it in a book. It's the letter that the Jerusalem council sent to all of the churches who were being intimidated by these false teachers. And boy, is it a great letter. 
I wish we had time to read it today, but I know you'll go home and read it. Acts chapter 15, verses 23 to 29. The letter that was written to the churches after they had that meeting with Paul and Barnabas and Titus. Now, the story's not quite over because Paul's going to give us a little more information. We've learned about his friend, but he also had some foes in that meeting. And this is interesting. Verse 4 says, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Paul said the meeting in Jerusalem wasn't just all the good guys. Some bad guys got in, just like they were getting into our churches. And how did they get in? He said, they came in by stealth. In my language, that means they snuck in. They came in kind of deceitfully and acted like they were a part of the group. And the Bible says they were doing it for one reason. They wanted to see what this grace gospel was doing. They were really afraid that this new term, this grace gospel, was going to destroy everything they were committed to. So they sent out their little spies, had them go into all these little churches, and then some of them showed up in the council meeting trying to subvert Paul's testimony of the grace of God. And I want you to notice Paul's fight in verse 5. I love this paragraph. I may not preach anymore after I get this paragraph. This is my favorite paragraph in the whole chapter. Listen to this. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul, the freedom fighter. Paul was not going to have a few narrow-minded, unsaved, carnal Jews who couldn't keep the law themselves clamp it on the back of either him or his converts. He would not have it. Their concept of the gospel was false in precept, it was futile in practice, and it was fatal in purpose. It offered no salvation for the sinner, no sanctification for the saint. Couldn't fool Paul. He'd been there and done that. He knew it didn't work. As we read of Paul's courage for the sake of the gospel, we are reminded of the many men like Paul who you read about in history, who in a critical moment when the gospel perhaps was at stake, stood up for what was true regardless of what the consequences might be. I don't know that I've ever done this before. Give a round of applause for somebody who isn't still living. But I'd like us to give Paul a good hand today for what he did that day. Amen. (laughs) And perhaps tonight, all of you who call yourselves Christians ought to get on your knees before you go to bed and say, God, Thank you for Paul, who didn't give an inch to the people who wanted to mess up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not an inch, not an hour. The New English Bible says it this way, not for one moment did I yield to their dictation. You've got to understand why I love Paul. Man, he fires me up. He fires me up. Because I've got to tell you, in our day today, there's all kinds of pressure not to preach from the Bible on Sunday. All kinds of pressure to do market research and give people what they need according to them. And I need some heroes like Paul out there who says, you know what, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Not for an hour, not for an inch. 
I'm going to stand for the gospel the way it was written in the Bible. I'm not going to let anything be added to it, and I'm certainly not going to let anything be subtracted to it. This is the gospel by revelation from God written in the scripture. It's my mandate to preach it, and by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. Paul did it. I can do it. We've noticed Paul's appointment in Jerusalem and his appearance in Jerusalem. Notice, thirdly, his acceptance in Jerusalem. In verse 6, we see his authority as an apostle. But it says here in verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now, it's very possible that Paul's using a little sarcasm here. Let me show you what I mean. If you underline the phrases in your Bible like I do in mine, you will notice that there are four places in Galatians 2, 1 through 10 where Paul uses this little phrase. Galatians 2, 2, those who were of reputation. Galatians 2, 6, those who seemed to be something. Galatians 2, 6 again, those who seemed to be something. And Galatians 2, 9, those who seemed to be pillars. Now, Who is Paul talking about? Let me tell you what I believe this means. I believe that these teachers who were coming from Jerusalem were lifting up Peter and James and John and the pillars of the church as the only true standard bearers for the gospel. And they were saying, Paul, you don't understand. Peter, James, and John, and the others in the church, they were with Jesus for the entirety of his earthly ministry. They're the true apostles. I mean, you can't possibly think you belong in that group, Paul. So Paul says, well, let me talk to you about those who were of reputation. Those who seemed to be something. Those who seemed to be the pillars. He's not dishonoring the disciples or the apostles. What he is doing He is saying that he does not have to let his gospel be judged even by those who seem to be the pillars in the church. Remember, he's already said in the first chapter, if anybody comes to you with any other gospel, even if it's an angel, don't you listen to him. So if he's not going to listen to the angels, he's not going to be too worried about Peter, James, and John. I can tell you that for sure. And he is simply saying, don't hold up the hierarchy of the church And let it be my judge. I'm not judged by them. I really don't care what they think of what I preach. I care only for one thing. What does he think about what I preach? And I'm not going to be intimidated by the hierarchy of the church. In our day and age, it would be intimidation by the denominational headquarters, if you know what I mean. Do you know there's so many guys out there who want to preach the truth and they're scared to death that the denominational headquarters is going to come down on them And they will lose their job. Well, I say to those men, lose your job. At least you'll be in tune with God. Because you don't want to be in a situation where the hierarchy is telling you what to preach. You should get your preaching orders from one place. And that's from the Word of God and from the God of the Word. Paul is responding to their statements by saying, I'm really not impressed with the credentials of all these who seem to be something. Paul is saying that his only concern is the acceptance of his gospel by God. Now we come to a very interesting part of what happens. Verses 7 and 8, we read, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for 
the Gentiles had been committed to me as the gospel for the Jews was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. It's the same God, and it's the same gospel. The apostles in Jerusalem finally got it. They recognized that Paul had been entrusted with the preaching of the true gospel. Please be careful not to interpret these verses to think there are two gospels. Once again, let me say, there's not a gospel for the Jews and a gospel for the Gentiles. But how many of you know that when you preach the gospel or present the gospel, the message never changes, but the way you get to the presentation of the message may change. You don't present the gospel to an intellect the same way you would present it to someone who's had no schooling. You have to put the gospel message in a format that people will comprehend it. But the message doesn't change. I dare say that the way you present the gospel to somebody who's grown up in Judaism might be a bit different than the way you present the same gospel to somebody who's been a Gentile all their life. But the point Paul is making is there's no difference in the gospel. Don't try to drive a wedge in the church by saying, this is the Jewish side of the church and this is the Gentile side of the church. How many of you know there isn't a Jewish heaven and a Gentile heaven? How many of you know that? There isn't such a thing. There's just one. And the Bible says that they finally got it. They finally realized that my gospel, says Paul to the Gentiles, was the same gospel that Peter was preaching to the Jews. What a holy moment that must have been. Have you ever been in a situation where you're this far apart and all of a sudden something happens and you come together? That's the way it was. And the Bible says, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. The affirmation of Paul in Jerusalem was like this. Verse 9, when they finally got it, they said, Barnabas, you and Paul come up here. And they gave him right hand of fellowship. My understanding is that when they did that in the New Testament, they clasped their arm like this and shook. It was a real strong hand clasp. They said, we are partners. We are brothers. We're going out. You go reach the Gentiles, but we're going out with the same message, and we're partners together. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And then there's one little last thing in here. It just almost seems like an addendum. Verse 10 says, and they desired only that Paul and Barnabas, probably Titus, should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. I'm not really sure what to say about this except what I know is this, that in Jerusalem there were a lot of poor people. Pilgrims had come to Jerusalem to be a part of the new church. They left all of these different places. They came to Jerusalem and they saw the excitement of the gospel and they didn't want to go home. They wanted to stay. We're not going back there. We're going to stay. This is where the action is. But they had no place to live. They had no food. And so throughout the New Testament, you will see that periodically offerings were taken for the poor people in Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas were a part of one of those offerings. So I love the way that Jerusalem Council did this. They could have been Baptists. After they got the doctrinal thing straightened out, they said, don't forget about the offering. I think they could have been good Baptists. <laughs> but the beauty of it is, is this. When doctrine is right, practice will be right. 
When grace is established, that grace is not just the grace you get from God, but it's the grace you express to others. How many of you know that we serve other people out of the reservoir of grace that we have received from Almighty God? So it's an interesting little thing here, this little addendum. Here is Paul championing the purity of the gospel of grace and saying the grace of God is the only way you can know God. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything from it. And oh, by the way, when you receive the grace of God in your heart, don't forget to extend that grace to others, especially the people in Jerusalem who are poor. Make sure you remember them. One day, Abraham Lincoln went to visit a slave auction. He was appalled at what he saw. His heart was especially drawn to a young slave girl whose story seemed to be told in the pain of her eyes. She looked with hatred and contempt on everyone around her. She had been used and abused all of her life, and here was one more cruel humiliation for this girl. As the auction began, Lincoln put in a bid for this girl. As other amounts were bid, he countered with larger amounts until finally everyone else gave up and Lincoln won the bid and he now owned this slave girl. When he paid the auctioneer the money and took title to the young woman, she stared at him with a vicious contempt. She hated him like she had hated all of the other ones who had owned her. She asked him what he was going to do next with her. And he said, I'm going to set you free. Free, she said, free for what? Just free, said Lincoln, completely free. Free to do whatever I want to do? Yes, he said, free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say, Lincoln said. Free to say whatever you want to say. Free to go wherever I want to go? Absolutely, you're free to go wherever you want to go. Then she said, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And that's the way it is when we're free in Christ. He sets us free to go anywhere we want to go, say anything we want to say, do anything we want to do, but because we have come to know him and we have understood what he has done for us, what we desire to do is to do what he says and go where he goes and say what he says. We have been set free to be a slave to Jesus Christ. You want to know why when people hear grace, if they understand it, they don't go off and just become sinners and say, well, I'm covered by grace. I can just do whatever I want. If somebody ever says that, you could just about be sure they've never understood the grace of God. Because when you understand what this Savior has done for us, you want to say to him, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to be what you want me to be. And Lord God, help me not to do anything that grieves you. That's what grace does. Grace is the greatest motivation for godly living there is in the word of God. The Bible says that the grace of God teaches us to live righteously and godly in this present world. So don't come to me with any of your nonsense saying, oh, you're teaching grace and now you're setting people free to go do whatever they want to do. No, I am not. I'm preaching the grace of God and saying if you really got it, you're going to become a different kind of slave 
you're going to be a slave to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You're going to be a slave to the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of uh, this particular message. Uh, Tomorrow and Wednesday, before we get to our next series, I want to talk to you about a life of peace. What does it mean to live as a peaceful person, as a peaceful Christian? In between now and then, I hope you have time, if you haven't done so already, to contact us and send a gift for the ministry of Turning Point, because during the month of June, when you do that, we will send you this beautiful book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's the kind of book you can throw in your briefcase, but the book is a tremendous resource because it's filled with answers to questions. They tell me there are 86 questions about spiritual warfare in this book, all of them answered. And of course, there are other things in the book beside that. There's an index on prayer, an index on spiritual warfare, and uh, there's also a copy of the uh, warrior's prayer in this book. When you send your gift, all you have to do is ask for the little book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's beautifully designed with a glossy cover, easy-to-read print, and you'll want to have this. Uh, as long as you get your request in the mail and your gift in the mail before the end of the month. If I look at my calendar right after today, that's two days. So I always tell people, be one of the first. I'm going to tell you, be one of the last. Get your request in. Make sure you get it in today. And then don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with part one of A Life of Peace. We'll finish up on Wednesday, and then on Thursday we begin a series on the subject of angels. What does the Bible say about angels? This is David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Will you tell us one way that you're being blessed by Turning Point? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's a great way to stay on guard and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our series of special encouraging messages here on Turning Point. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month 
through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The Spanish have a wise saying about seeking revenge. No revenge is more honorable than the revenge not taken. History and Hollywood tell us the opposite, that the most honorable revenge is the one taken in full, and then some. But you know, I think the Spanish got this one right as far as God is concerned. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us God's perspective when he says, Do not take revenge, for it is written, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead of seeking revenge, Paul says, Live at peace with everyone, even those who have hurt us. Well, this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to live in peace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.